All right. Hello and welcome back to The Advantage. I'm your host, Michael Fiddle. And before we get started with some notes about how I view Game 2s in general, I just want to quickly start off by explaining my fanhood in the NBA, because yesterday it kind of came full circle and I had this like revelation and understanding about myself through the lens of being a basketball fan, and uh, it was just pretty interesting, so I felt like I should explain it for you guys. So I grew up a diehard Nets fan. I was a Jason Kidd, Richard Jefferson, Vince Carter guy. They went to back-to-back finals in the early 2000s. That's when I was, you know, like 9, 10 years old and was really coming of age and learning the game. So watching them play was just so much fun. I grew up uh, just outside of New York City, so I was close enough to be able to attend, you know, one or two Nets games throughout a season, and I got every one of their local games on my home TV. All my other friends were Knicks fans, and the Knicks fans kind of sucked during that those days. It was Spreewell, Allen Houston, Chris Childs, Charlie Ward, that kind of team. It was the end of the Ewing era. Um, I caught the tail end of it as a basketball fan. But I just remember being like, you know, the Knicks aren't that great of a team, and all my friends are Knicks fans, so I want to, where everyone's zigging, I'll zag, and I became a Nets fan. Uh, it continued through the Devin Harris years through the Yi Jilian Leon years, through the Travis Outlaw years, and some really, really treacherous times to be a Nets fan. When they went 12-70 and 70 playing in the IZOD Center in New Jersey, I had a fathead of Devin Harris on my wall. Fathead is one of those like massive wall stickers. So I had like a six-foot life-sized Devin Harris on my bedroom wall. And I also took my first date to the IZOD Center and sat courtside with her at a random game. I think the tickets were were pretty cheap out there in the meadowlands of New Jersey. While the team sucked, I also was such a big basketball fan that I needed to have somebody to root for when the games were getting good. So naturally, I became a LeBron fan. He was so exciting to watch on the court. It was like a new era Magic Johnson the way he was passing, the way he was driving, the way he was adding to his game every year. And off the court, I thought he was the man. I mean, he was a good role model. He seemed not to get in trouble. He was doing a lot of charity work. All the celebrities loved him. I became a huge LeBron supporter. So much so that my dog right now is named Bronny. I have a girl dog named LeBron. I think just because LeBron's the king, he doesn't He's the only LeBron that I know, so he doesn't own the rights to LeBron being a male gendered name. So now I have a girl dog named LeBron, and she's my queen. So anyways, I became a huge, I had a huge rooting interest in LeBron's career. It did not alter the trajectory of the Nets' success. So even though LeBron was in the East and dominating, the Nets were so bad that they were just on completely different, like I said, trajectories that they didn't impact one another, and it was very easy to root for both. Then the Nets started to get a little good. I even worked for the team as I was a student at NYU. So during Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, and they were Brooklyn's backcourt when they had Brooke Lopez, I was even there for the season where they traded for KG and Paul Pierce. I was a huge, huge anti-Boston person growing up because they were the Nets' rivals. Um... And then I was working for the team when those players came and put on Nets jerseys. So I think the Nets played the Heat one time during the playoffs that season when I was working for the team. And I remember actively rooting for the Nets. So I was back to being a Nets fan. 
But if they weren't playing against LeBron, I was rooting for LeBron to win it all. So then LeBron goes back to Cleveland eventually. I'm no longer working for the Nets. My main rooting interest is back on LeBron James. And all of a sudden, Kevin Durant joins the Golden State Warriors and essentially crushes LeBron's chance of a title for the next few years. Subsequently, Kyrie Irving leaves Cleveland and asks out, admittedly after Cleveland was going to trade him for Paul George, so I kind of agree that it was the right move for Kyrie, but Kyrie kind of scorned LeBron and forced his way out of Cleveland, and that also hurt LeBron's chance at winning another ring. Of course, subsequent years with Kyrie in Boston and then some weird mental health and vaccination stances, Kyrie's kind of been difficult to root for since he left Cleveland. So KD was on my anti-list and Kyrie was on my anti-list. And then all of a sudden, the two guys at the top of my anti-list in the NBA came and joined the team that I always loved. And I really didn't know what to do. So I spent like that whole offseason just wondering how am I going to feel about this? How am I going to feel about this? I'm not going to I'm not going to pass any judgment. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until I see them in the jerseys on the court during a game. I'm just going to let my emotions tell me what am I rooting for? Do I like this? Do I not like this? And KD was remember coming off that Achilles injury. So he missed that whole first season in Brooklyn. So I had Kyrie running with Dinwiddie and Karras and J.A. and all those guys that I loved. And I was, you know, kind of into it. I wasn't totally in love with the Kyrie stuff. Then Kyrie didn't go to the bubble. That was the bubble season. So KD was out. The Nets were in, I think, as like a 7 or 8 seed. And Kyrie chose not to go to the bubble because he had a hurt shoulder. And then I became, I was like, okay, now I'm back in all the Nets. And then the following season, we got the first taste of Durant and Irving playing together. And I just remember the implicit feeling that I felt of just like, oh, no, I cannot root for this team to win. So I've been anti-KD and Kyrie since the moment that I saw them take the court. Uh, I I hold a special place in my heart for all those former Nets that I once loved. So like seeing Jared Allen be an all-star in Cleveland this year made me so happy. Seeing Karis LeVert join that Cleveland team and have a chance at the playoffs made me happy. Seeing guys like Boyan Bogdanovich now in Utah, having a huge game one in the playoffs, doing a step over and slide with amazing footwork against Dinwiddie on the Mavericks, seeing all that stuff. Those are my guys. Made me happy. So I really just can't root for the Nets right now. And actually, during this NBA season, I moved to Boston. So now I live in Boston and I have these Nets guys that I really can't root for, and I see Tatum hit this game winner. And Tatum's just a guy that's so easy to root for, right? Like, he's gotten so much better at every aspect of the game. He's fun on and off the court. I remember his first game in the league when uh, Gordon Hayward snapped his leg, like, on the first play, and that was Tatum's first game ever, and he was tasked with guarding LeBron, and he put up 18 and 10. And I was like, oh, this this guy's gonna be something. So I've always been a big Tatum guy. Brown's fun to root for. Smart's got good energy. Horford. These guys are, you know, this is a fun team to root for. Ime Doka's a fun coach. And I found myself, when Tatum, with that relentless cut to the rim, Smart with the nice feed, Tatum with the spin and the bucket, game ends, Celtics win by one, 
I instinctively jumped out of my chair and started screaming, let's go! Now, I had lost a bet on the minus four Celtics just for one unit. It's really not that big of a deal. But the inherent idea that I was cheering for the Celtics to beat the Nets and jumping out of my chair for it to happen is something that really just came full circle to me. That like, wow, I've kind of moved on from that first chapter in my life. I have a more uh, overarching approach to my fandom in the NBA these days. I root for players and storylines, not for just jerseys and organizations. I think that's true throughout a lot of sports now. I mean, we've seen a lot of kind of messed up business practices that the organizations put on, but the players who put on the jerseys are still really good people. And those are the people that we get to know. So those are the people that we start rooting for. So I've become a player first fan and seeing that Jason Tatum game winning shot yesterday, which was the first game winner in Boston Celtics playoff history, which is crazy considering how rich their playoff history is. But yeah, I was, you know, a very, uh, introspective day that had me wondering like I wonder how I got here so it was worth doing this quick reflection for 10 minutes okay let's spend the next few minutes just discussing what game two means in general I find game twos very hard to cap that's why you'll see with my unit distribution and with the plays that I'm taking right now I'm not reaching anything over like one and a half units on any of these games uh this right now I have no more than one unit on any of the game twos, and I expect that to pretty much be the same. I reached maximum exposure and had th- two different three-unit games for the different game ones. That's not going to happen for me in any game twos in any of the eight series. Game two is harder to read because coaching staffs make adjustments or they just plot out the same thing. You don't know what their objective is going to be, and you don't know what their first chess move is going to be, and you don't know how... The teams are going to react to seeing each other again. So for that reason, it's a little bit harder to bet game twos. We've gotten a little bit of experience with this, with the recent travel schedules changing in the NBA that allows for various home and homes. So like a team will play, like if the Nets and Pacers are playing, they'll play in Indiana one night and then in Brooklyn the next. Um, And what we've seen with these various home and homes is that in the second night of the home and home, you back the team that lost the first time. But in the playoffs, when players aren't letting their guard down and generally the team that won the first game is the better team because first-round favorites is such a successful system, you don't know if like this in the second game, does talent win out or does the adjustment win out? Does the familiarity win out? So it's really hard to read. And for that reason, we just stick with you know low-level exposure plays. So for tonight, I'm recording this at 1 o'clock Eastern time in Boston. Like I said, I live in Boston. For tonight, uh, I'm on the Jazz with one unit. And then I'm on the 76ers and the Nuggets. I mean, 76ers and the Warriors each for half a unit. Like I said, I love first-round favorites. But there are some real indicators that the Nuggets are going to cover tonight. So I wasn't comfortable playing a two-unit play. Also, like Nick Nurse in Toronto is a high-valued adjustment team, 
And so is Michael Malone because they have Jokic. So anytime Jokic is on the floor, he's one of the smartest players in the NBA. He's really good at reading, understanding what needs to be done, and changing his game to fit that. So I think the Nuggets might cover as well, even though I think the Warriors are such a better team. They have so much firepower that ultimately I'm willing to bet them on a spread under seven so that I got them at the, the seven points. I wouldn't have taken it if it was at seven and a half. I maybe would have laid a little bit more juice if it was at six and a half. You guys know how much I value the numbers right around that line. Um, but yeah, I will, we'll see how these plays out. But just my, my general recommendation is to lower your exposure going into game twos. For the other set of game twos, the um, what we saw yesterday, I'll quickly review those. So we saw first um, Miami versus... Atlanta. And this was a huge letdown spot for Atlanta. They were playing three games in five nights. The first two games were playing games where their season was on the line. And now they come in to a Sunday where they were slated into the one o'clock game after being the Friday night game in Cleveland. They're then the first game Sunday in Miami. I mean, this was just a scheduling loss for Atlanta. That's why I reached maximum exposure on Miami. And Miami blew them out of the water. I expect it to be closer, but I'm also still very much willing to back Miami. And since the spread came out at around six and a half originally, I jumped right on it for half a unit. Uh, I think it's increased to seven and a half now, so I'm probably not going to lay anything more. But if we see that line stay or come back to seven or even go back to six and a half, I might even be willing to put another half unit on it. I think the Heat are the much better team in this series. I talked about it. I've tweeted about it. I wanted to get on the Heat series price, but it came out way more than I expected, likely because the Capella injury changed things. But yeah, Capella is going to make a big difference uh, in just the spread even. He's so experienced on the court. He stops a lot of the backdoor cuts that the Heat are so good at making and those lob passes and those rim runs. Um, that Okongwu is just not experienced enough to know all of those reads and to slide over appropriately. So I like the heat in game two, but again, not willing to up my exposure so much, even though I like the team a lot more than the Hawks. Um, for Brooklyn versus Boston game two, I'm back on Boston minus three. I think Boston's still the much better team. Uh, I know Kyrie went bananas and nuclear. KD was not himself, and you expect KD to be better. What I really expect is for the Nets to create a scheme that allows KD to get more friendly ISO looks. Uh, I thought he was asked to do too much for himself, and I thought that there were too many actions that were set to free up Kyrie, so that we need to just balance that and free up KD a little bit. I ultimately don't think it's going to be enough. I think Boston's just better. I think anytime those guys were off the court, you could see Boston takes over. I think Tatum and Brown are just so good at scoring. I think Boston attacks the rim relentlessly, and Brooklyn is so undersized that ultimately that's going to be a big difference maker, both Boston's ability to get to the rim and Boston's ability to out-rebound the Nets. I even think the rebound differential is so great that you might even see Drummond start to be worked off the floor because Drummond's main uh, priority and capability for the Nets, his main skill that he brings to this Nets team is his amazing rebounding, but if he's not even such a factor, you might even be able to open it up and go elsewhere. So I'd look for Aldridge to be involved. I'd try and dust off Blake Griffin myself if I were Steve Nash. I'd get out my dustpan and dust him off a bit. 
But uh, I think you just need one more player that can create a little bit so it's not all dependent on KD and Kyrie because it would just make it that much easier for KD. And shout out to Tatum's defense on KD. I mean, he just joined the exclusive club of I've blocked a Kevin Durant fadeaway jumper club. So an exclusive club for Tatum to be in. And I'm not talking about game-winning playoff shots. The last two games that we saw were Bucks bulls and Suns-Pelicans. I don't feel like I need to touch too much on these games. The Bucks played uh, and won very ugly, but that's something that they do. The Bucks can win ugly games because they have length, they have defenders, they have guys who can hit a few shots in a row. Um, so if a game can get ugly, the Bucks can win, and the Bucks are fine doing that as long as they get the dub. Um, I still lean the Bucks to have a f- one or two blowout wins in this series so if i'm backing a team i'm likely backing the bucks in game two if the line drops a little bit because they only won by four or five points and that drops to like eight and a half i'll be back on the bucks again if it stays at the 10 points that it was in game one i'll probably be like half a unit maybe on the bucks if anything again check me on twitter for that the suns they won by 11 they covered the spread but the pelicans made great adjustments in the second half So I would be unsure. I would expect the second game to be a bit closer. I don't like betting on the clear worst team, not at home, (laughs) and in the playoff spot. So I'm not going to be backing the Pelicans. So this also might be a no-bet spot for me on the Suns, just because the Pelicans look like they might have figured some things out and can keep a game close. But again, the Suns are just the best team in the NBA right now. I ultimately think they end up winning it all, barring any serious injuries. So I'm not going to be betting against the Suns. So today is Monday, 418. Let me just quickly recap what my card looks like just for today and the bets that I already have in place for the next few days. Uh, I'm on Jazz minus 5. That was a half unit. Then I made it a full unit at 5.5. So I have actually have it at two different lines. I hope that half a point doesn't matter too much. Um, but in general, I'm on a full unit on the Jazz covering the spread. I'm on the 76ers minus 7 for half a unit. I'm also on Tobias Harris over one and a half threes. I played this in game one. I'm going to play this in game two. It's a minus 136 prop right now. I have 0.68 units to win half a unit. Uh, he's shooting five, six threes a game with Harden, and Harden opens up so much space. Harden's such a good passer. They're going to get Tobias at least three or four corner threes looks, and I think there's a good chance that Tobias really ends up with like eight or seven or eight three-point attempts, and he only has to make two. So that's definitely a bet that I like. So I'm on Tobias Harris over one and a half threes in addition to that 76ers minus seven spread. And uh, finally, Golden State minus seven as well, half a unit. Like I said, there's really good indicators for the Nuggets to cover. So that's why I'm only willing to lay half a unit on Golden State. But it's a first-round favorites play that I like. Uh, Golden State is one of the most explosive playoff teams in the NBA, so I feel comfortable laying half a unit. Beyond that, Boston minus three and uh, Miami minus 6.5 for game two were the only other bets that I put in, both of those for half a unit already. I'll be looking to be back on Jimmy Butler's overprop in game two. He had scored 21. I was on his over 22.5. He scored 21. But he went 2 of 7 from the free throw line and was taken out with 5 minutes left because it was a blowout. So I think that was a clear good read on my behalf. And I'm looking to be on the same thing as well. 
because I don't think the line is going to change that much. But I think there's definitely value there, and I think it definitely would have hit under normal, more normal circumstances than Atlanta in a blowout spot. Okay, so that's where I'm at. That's where my head is at. Make sure you're following me at AdvantagePod underscore SE on Twitter. I've been really active on Twitter recently. I'm really trying to grow my following there. I have a solid 32 or 33 followers so far. I just started the account. So if you could go follow me, uh, and that's a great place where you can even interact with me, or the Sports Ethos, Wager Pass, and Discord. I'm 22 and 12 since posting all of my plays in the Sports Ethos, Wager Pass, and Discord, which is plus 10 points something units and I calculated it last night if you followed my principles of bankroll management and have been following all my plays since March 22nd you would have already it's so it's a little under one month you would already have a 13.76 percent return on investment of your bankroll account so we're doing really well here on the advantage it's been a great start Uh, I would appreciate if you guys can join me for the ride or feel like interacting with me there's been a few people who have chimed in on the discord or on twitter and i really appreciate it it's nice that uh some people are listening and getting positive feedback so far so thank you and i look forward to speaking to you guys soon